Welcome to MyPersonalFootballCoach.com's Soccer Player Development Podcast. Discover all the secrets, hints and tips about soccer player development and soccer coaching from some of the leading figures in world soccer. Here's your host, Saul Isaacson-Hurst. Hi guys, welcome back to another show. This week we've got a top guest for you. It's Kenneth Santa. Kenneth's a talent ID specialist. He's worked all around the world, began his career in Denmark, where he's originally from, working at several clubs, including Bromby, and then uh, travelled around the world to places including Aspire, Qatar, in Qatar with the Aspire Academy, Saudi Arabia, India, and now in uh, Singapore, where he's head of talent ID for the Singapore Football Association. So real interesting dive into this guy's career. He's top, top level, uh, been there, done that all around the world. Interesting to see about the different challenges working around the world and you know, carving a career for yourself, traveling around the world and all those things that come come with that. So yeah, really uh, privileged to choose to come on the show. And look, without further ado, let's get into the show. So Kenneth Santa, welcome to the show. Thank you for having me. Take it just, uh, like, and I, this might be difficult because obviously I've seen your 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 CV. But can you give us a brief outline of your your your, your sort of what journey of football to this point? Uh, I don't know how long I have, so but I'll try <laughs> to make it as quick as possible. Uh, yeah, like many other people, uh, I played on on a decent youth level. Uh, I got a I got a serious injury in my hip when I was sixteen. So while I was trying to get back to the field uh, my my former coach that on the 14 asked me to to join in and, and assist with the young ones on the nines on the tens so uh got got into coaching this way and and had i think around 6 7 years in coaching doing my my coaching licenses at a young age in a in in a club in Denmark called Kuge which is a Danish uh, first division club right now mostly known for Daniel Lager being the head coach the last two seasons there um, so I got my way into coaching this way and then found my way through different coaching jobs in in um, in smaller first division clubs, uh, taking me to to Nordsjælland at, at on the 14 level, uh, where I also did my 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 first uh, scouting role on part time basis coaching on the 14 while I was scouting, uh, was there for a year, went to to AB. Uh, also first division club with good youth teams, spent a year there as head of recruitment for academy and coaching on the 14. Um, from there on uh, to under 19 in Roskilde uh, and uh, one year as academy director in Køge, um, a year in Lyngby as the head of scouting and recruitment for both youth and, and senior football, onwards to Brøndby for two years where I was head of academy scouting and recruitment for, for two years and from there, my my international career started with with almost three years in Aspire as a I think the title is international football scout, um, working with Aspire teams and and the the Qatar youth national teams for three years. Uh, after Aspire, had uh, almost a year working from Denmark, based in Denmark, but working for Wolves as an under twenty three European scout, um, from Wolves to. Nine months in India, uh, which got interrupted by COVID, which sent me home and and um, and then changed my my perspective of things. Uh, started a football club, uh, grassroots football club, seven to twelve year old players in Kuge, just my my heart's project in in teaching the small kids to play. Uh, and um, from there on, I had a year in Saudi Arabia and Mahad Academy as 
as the football scouting manager. And now since January, I've been in, in Singapore where I'm the head of talent ID for the Football Association of Singapore. Wow. So it's quite an amazing uh, CV there. You've been all around the world. Let's go, let's wind it back then to like your first starting talk. Think about those first, your first experiences as a coach, if you like. What was your, do you remember, I mean, what was your coaching philosophy? What did your sessions look like? I mean, you know, do you, do you, do you, do you remember that? Are you quite vivid? You know, what sort of sessions were you putting on? What sort of players were you trying to develop? Um, I was very young and I, I think I was mainly shaped by those who coached me when I was a kid. Um, and I'm, I've all, I often said this to people who's willing to listen, saying if I had been coached the way that, that you guys and, and those who are coaching now are coaching kids, I'm, 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 I'm sure I would have had a much better career in football myself. Uh, but, but what I want to try to aim to is that I was very curious in my coaching career. So, I tried to to watch as many sessions. I I went around even when I was young to to watch other teams train, to watch a lot of different coaches train, and uh, and I don't think I found my coaching philosophy while I was a coach. I think I was I was trying to 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 learn as much as possible as those who was around me. Uh, many of the coaches which I work with in different clubs, they are now uh, coaching overseas, or they are in in youth national team roles, or in in big uh, first team uh, jobs in in Denmark and in Sweden and Norway as an example but but I don't think I've ever because I shifted when I was quite young in terms of 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 coaching until scouting uh, and recruitment so for me I, I I don't think I can say that this is my philosophy I've always been a fan of expectation versus resources saying in Denmark it's it's different to compare to to where you're from Seoul in terms of in terms of history, in terms of full-time jobs. When I was a, a youth coach, we didn't have full-time roles or part-time roles. We were, everybody had a full-time job or was studying and then did the sessions on the back of it. Um, and it's not until the last maybe 10 years that you've actually seen full-time jobs and part-time jobs now taken over and you're seeing more and more people getting into coaching at an earlier age and being being shaped by actually being around people who's been in the clubs for a long time and and having built a football philosophy, um, I think it's the national coach now of Denmark, Casper, was in Nordsjælland when I was a coach there. Uh, and, and I took a lot of inspiration from him. Uh, also had a lot of things I wanted to do different than he wanted. Uh, but but mostly my year in in, in Nordsjælland and my years in, in Lundby being around half of, of the coaches is now youth national team coaches for Denmark, I think is, is my turning point in terms of how I see football. But I see it, I think, pragmatic in the way of saying that that there aren't many football clubs that can uh, play exactly as they want because they cannot recruit the players they want. In Denmark, for, from where I'm from, there is three, four clubs who are better than everybody else and they can compete about, on the best players and they can scout and recruit based on profiles that suits the way they play. Uh, and it's only uh, two of them who has kept the same style over the last 10, 15 years of playing. Uh, some of the clubs are changing the style. So who's that, long, who, are those, long, who, are, who are those two who are the two clubs that have kept their their style of play? The the only club which is 100% loyal to their DNA is FC Nordsjælland. Uh, right. FC Copenhagen has changed style over the last period since Dole Solbergen going to year Storb and, and now Jakob Nestrup is, uh, for me, an in-between uh, Stole and and yes, uh, taking the best of of both worlds. And what's uh, uh, what's what's Norseland's um, philosophy then? What's that look like? Sorry, my Siri turned on. 
Okay. Uh, what's uh, what's that Norseland's oh, philosophy? Explain that. So what does it look like, Norseland? What are they? What's their identity? Their DNA, if you like. I think they have. Uh, I have. They have developed since I was there, and I think they've taken the the best parts out of Right to Dream in terms of how they saw things. Uh, I used to call Norseland uh, Lungby Light because the the Norseland way was was shaped by the Lungby people. Casper was was a part of Lungby in his younger coaching career. And most of the coaches who's been a part of it up there is has that education in football. Uh, but in terms of in terms of how they want to play and in terms of how they how they educate the players from their young has developed uh, since they've been a part of Right to Dream. So they they used to be what what I would normally call a, a Barcelona light in terms of how they wanted to play. Uh, and since since taking on Right to Dream uh, values and and different player profiles. They have now created a different uh, flexibility in their way of playing, which is, it's still, um, it's still based around having the ball, still based around wanting to control the games, but depending on which player profiles they have, they are they are flexible in terms of their patterns. Uh, what well, to I'm, me is yeah, interesting. And then I'm sorry, sorry, sorry to interrupt. I'm, I've got I know you're a busy man. I've got, got I haven't got much time for you, so I'm going to try and get all the juicy bits from you. <laughs> so just what what's like? Tell me just briefly. We're like what's Denmark. What's that? Does Denmark generally have an identity of football? Like, you know, in England, we've gone through a change of identity really in the last, you know, 10, 10 years or so. So, thank God, you know, you know, we play much more modern brand of football. We're playing out from the back, much more technical footballers. Not everybody likes that. That's why, but now it's finally showing success in terms of our performance in tournaments. What's the like the identity like for, for, in Denmark? Is there like a Danish way, you know, simpler ways? I mean, essentially, when I look at Sweden, obviously I'm half Swedish, you know, I look at Sweden and and Norway, I see a lot of similarities between old style English football, quite direct, a lot of athleticism, big boys, you know, they, that sort of like, what's it look like in Denmark? Is there is it a similar sort of profile as the rest of those Scandinavian countries? Uh, I think it's safe to say that, that over the last 20 years, um, Morten Olsen has, has, has probably had the biggest impact in terms of the development of football in Denmark. Uh, and Morten's background is from, from Ajax. Um, so Morten was, I think, national coach for around 12 years. Um, and the Danish football landscape was was shaped in the way that, that Ajax played. Uh, so Denmark was, for a long time, uh, a light version of, of the Dutch way of playing. Uh, which is a little bit interesting because I think the 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 biggest results we have we have had has been I don't want to say playing British but when we won in '92 when I was nine years old I remember a, a defensive team who was standing and waiting and and was living on transitions with with a couple of uh, world class players in, in goal and and uh, Brian up front but um, the 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 game has like any other things all has changed and. What you're seeing now for me is with with Casper has taken over the team. It's it's a Casper and Morden are similar in terms of how they see football. So Casper wants to to dominate the game, uh, which some people from from Denmark and around football world are saying, are oh, the Danish football players good enough to control the games in the same way that he would like to do it? Uh, are they are they training enough as a group to to actually have those patterns? Uh, I think the last World Cup uh, told us no. Uh, and looking back at at the European Championship last time, where we we of course uh, with with the the big shock of of Christian falling falling over and and the team afterwards uh, getting through to to the semifinals, where we unfortunately lost to you because you had a little bit of more luck than we did and you were just better. Um, I think the 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 quick answer in terms of this is that uh, it's it's. It's uh, around the same version as with Morden, but Casper has made it more 
more flexible and has different other players, but still trying to get the most out of the best players we have because we can have an intention, but Denmark is a small country and we, we still need to, to get the best out of what we have. But what about you in youth development? Obviously, this is a youth development podcast. I mean, what, what does that look like in academy football, for example? I mean, what is, I mean, are the academies now setting up more like Ajax or is it quite more typical, you know, it's, it's a bit more direct? I mean, what does that look like in the youth football area? Uh, the, the quick answer will be to tell you is that I haven't been much involved in Danish youth football the last 10 years, but... But, but, what, so, but, but from, well, think back to when you, you know, you've been academy manager, you've been an academy coach and, you know, some of the biggest clubs there in Northland, you worked at Bromby. You know, what do you, what do you remember about the, you know, the football culture in terms of what's like the methodology like there? And, you know, was there, was it similar across those big clubs or, you know, is it very, is it individual based, more team based? Do they play direct or, you know, any, anything can sort of remember about that? Uh, when I used to be head of recruitment in Brøndby, it was it was a little bit easier because Brøndby was a mix of wanting to dominate with the ball, but also wanting to play direct. Uh, in my time, we shifted coaches. We we had one coach, and then Thomas came in, who's the head coach of Brentford. Uh, and Thomas was a, a younger coach, and and I think he learned a lot from his time. But what I wanted to aim at is that in Brøndby, as an example, we wanted to play in one way in the academy, the the Dutch way with four three three. Uh, and wanting to have, depending on the players we, we were able to recruit, we could play with, with wingers that went inside or we could play with with uh, with fast wingers. Or if we had two good strikers, we would find a way where position 10 and 9 uh, could switch and the wingers would be more defensive. So we were trying to look at it more practically in terms of, of the competition environment we win. But for me, the general aspect across uh, Bonby, Copenhagen and Nordsjælland to take those ones. Nordsjælland, they are... I don't want to say 100% identical, but they are as close as it comes. Uh, mm. Copenhagen has been transferring from from actually over a long period of time where the academy has had a more uh, proactive way of playing football, where their first team has has always wanted to be dominating, but they have been they've been very solid defensively, playing what we would call very European, trying to get results in Europe, and playing a lot on 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 delivering crosses into the box and having. Big and strong attackers who can who can come in and score that way. Where the academy teams have been more dynamic, um, so it's a little bit a mix in terms of academy doing it one way, first team doing it a different way. Uh, but having in mind that the pattern is that the academies and the first teams have never been closer as they are now, and are more more they are more and more aligned. aligned. Interesting. So in terms about yourself then, so you you know you transitioned into more of a recruitment role. Was that a conscious thing you did or was it just something, you know, you happened just to, you know, as we know, a role came up, you went for it. Or was it, is that, is that something you were passionate about it and you thought, you know, I've had enough of this coaching, let me go and recruitment it instead, maybe? Uh, it's actually two different explanations. Uh, first one being that my wife was tired of me coming home seven days a week before, after the kids was put to bed. So yeah. she said, either you, you find a different job or, or she was switch the locks. Uh, but also it was simply because my my interest was was also more about building something just not around my team but around the whole club. So even even I've worked in 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 a lot of clubs and in in different roles, I've always had the interest of of trying to get the most out of the resources that we had available. And I've always taken a liking into to to scouting and recruitment, and always tried when I was a coach to. To have my my academy team playing uh, at as an example Sunday morning at ten, so I could I could watch three or four games before I had to go home uh, for dinner with my family. So 
I've always been interested in it. And and uh, I was the first guy in Denmark who who had a full-time job in Lyngby as the head of academy recruitment. That was the first full-time role. Um, and afterwards going to Bonby, which which when I was a kid was my club, the club I supported, was was an was an easy choice, even though there was a lot of trouble at that time, almost bankrupt and getting new ownership. Uh my 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 career just moved in direction because I I think I saw an opportunity so to I wanted to be the best within my field and I felt that there was a very there was a lot of gifted and talented youth coaches who who not like me had two young kids and a wife um, and could invest a lot more time in that aspect and and I could see that I could have a career path in terms of scouting and recruitment which was something I enjoyed and I I felt I was good at and so I pursued that um, that direction instead. What's the, what's the main challenges about being a full time recruiter? What what are the, some of the things which were you noticed initially were a bit problematic or you know things you had to get over? Uh, for me, it's the it's the letting go. Uh, for me, uh, when you are doing the scouting, you're doing the screening. Uh, you are doing the recruitment if you are the head of recruitment, uh, and then you are delivering the player to the coaches. It's the it's the trying to be involved in terms of of having a relationship with the parents where you can you can sometimes you can mediate in terms of problems, especially with academy teams, players, and parents. You can be the the person in between who can who can speak to the coaches sometimes and try to 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 see if you can find a way because some of the things that that you deal with when you recruit players in in academy level uh, the coaches if they haven't watched the players themselves and they are just given the players by the recruitment department they're not they're not always seeing it the same way as the recruitment department is so so for me it's the letting go part it's the it's the it's the trying to to be around but but accepting the fact that the coaches are with the players four five six times a week and working with them in in all the games and and you've gone from following the players outside every week to potentially seeing them in training once every 15 16 days and and watching maybe the, every third or fourth of their games uh, so it for me it's the it's the letting go part and and accepting the fact of of there is good people in the organization who will who will who will make sure that development continues and what about I'm interested, like you know, Denmark particularly as like, as a recruitment hotbed. What's that like? What what is it like for you? Is it you know is it easy to get players? Or is it a football mad culture? Obviously, we we'll talk a little bit in a minute about the other places you've been where maybe there's been other challenges in terms of their attitude to football. What's it like in Denmark in terms of trying to get players through the door? Uh, there is a big difference uh, in terms of which clubs you work for, and I've always said that for those who've only worked for Bonby, Copenhagen, and Nordsjælland, they should have tried working for for the smaller clubs when they do the recruitment because that's real recruitment and hard work. Uh, the bigger clubs who can who can show the players around and the parents around the stadiums, they they just have an advantage. Uh, a lot of the players and the families are, are fans. And to my experience until now, uh, when you get the players in the seat, you get the parents, you show them around, you provide them with the, the individual uh, development plans and you provide them with with how you see them, uh, you bring in the the head coach for for the different age group. Uh, it's it's I don't want to say it's easy. Uh, there is there is a lot of profiling and there is a lot of understanding the psychology part uh, from from the recruiter, the scout to the parents. Um, but football in Denmark is the the biggest sport and it and it is a career path. Even though it's it's very few players who make it, uh, then then the easy answer is saying it's it it is easy moving them. Yes. 
So Lens, let's talk about your your first experience abroad then. You go to the Aspire Academy in Qatar. Uh, how did that come about? What was your thoughts about going on to try that? Uh, I was so lucky when I worked in Lungbu that uh, we were invited to to come and join with our 1990s group. Um, we didn't do well. Uh, we actually got kicked. Uh, we got our ass kicked two times. I don't know if you're allowed to say this here, but I'll do it anyway. Mm-hmm. Go for it. Uh, but but you know when when I when I went around uh, and saw the facility and and saw everything, I I I think I was as close as falling into love with facilities as you can possibly be. Um, and when I was there, um, I actually I, I showed a lot of interest in in learning from from a lot of the staff members at that time who was there. Uh, at that time, it was was mainly uh, English people and and uh, Dutch people who who was there. And uh, I met up with a lot of them uh, and showed interest in in what they did. Uh, and from there on, uh, when when I when I announced that my my time at Bonby had come to an end, I actually got a message from from one of the one of the scouting coordinators, uh, Juan Lu, who is in America now, who who asked me to to send me his CV, uh, so to send my CV to him. Uh, and the day after, I had uh, a job interview with the HR department. So it actually it I don't want to say by coincidence, but mm. but I I think I can say from from showing interest and and being lucky to 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 be present at the right time. Wow. So you, so you decided to leave Bromby before you had the job lined up? No, 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 no. I didn't decide to leave Bromby. It was a, it was a, a change of direction from, from right. the sports yeah. director at that time. So uh, yeah. I think that's I see, a nice yeah. way to start. Sorry, yeah. I've, I've experienced that one as well. Yeah, sorry. That comes hand in hand in football, right? <laughs> anyway, so let me, take, let me move on swiftly there. So then what was that like then? So you're, so you're now you work in recruitment in Qatar. You know, what's that like? You know, what was the... Well, the initial challenges like that was, you know, contrast that to working in Denmark. Oh, uh, first of all, the, the 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 biggest difference is that the the temperature is is nothing you can compare. But but the biggest difference is you 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 go from having a country uh, where it, it takes maybe six hours to go from one end to the other, and you will have potentially you will have around uh, 18,000 uh, football players per age group. Uh, if you want to cover all of them in Qatar, you have somewhere around 400 to 450 players who's registered in the QFA database. Uh, when I was there, we had, I cannot remember, it was 16 or 18 clubs at that time. Um, so the the structure we had in terms of of Qatar versus Bonbu cannot be compared. But uh, we also, around each of the teams we had from under 13 and up, which is our full-time age group, we had what I would call a, a first team staffing group with when we had the staffing meetings, we would have 10 people around the table uh, going from head coach, assistant coach, goalkeeper coach, SNC coach, uh, sports, uh, sports psychologist, dietitian, uh, scout, analyst. Uh, and from time to time, we would also have different coordinators joining into to oversee as well. So uh, the biggest difference was it, it felt like uh, it was felt like being with the first team, even though you work with with players who, when I joined, I worked with 15 and 16s. Uh, and in my last two years, I, I I had the pleasure of 13, 14, and 15s. So uh, a very big difference. What sort of players are they? Are you recruiting there? They got a different profile to the from the Danish players. Uh, yes, um, there is there is different profiles in in this in the way that there there are players who who is uh, who. Is, who by origin is um, is from the Middle East, uh, and they also have have players which origin uh, is more from from the African country. So, 
you have you have different types uh, and you have different profiles uh, in terms of it but but what stands out in terms of the country is the number of players uh, basically meaning that it's much easier to to oversee them and, and follow them for a long period of time which also one of the interesting stories is that uh, Mohamed Watt and and uh, and Humam uh, who actually played for for Qatar in the World Cup was two players that uh, had been in the system before I was an aspire but had been released um, and I and I got them in when they were under 17 under 18 uh, so so it's it's an um, it's a country where there is not that many players but it's a country because of the setup there is the players they get followed and there is a follow up on them and and I you cannot say nobody can can go through the cracks, but we had the, somewhere between six and eight games a week to to cover from each of the age groups, and every week we would have somewhere between sixty and seventy percent coverage of all the games with with all our staff. So most players was was watched somewhere between fifteen and twenty times a year, uh, and had reports on them as well. What about culturally? What about lifestyle? I mean, what was it like moving there? And is your wife, she finally happy now that, you know, you're not coming home late? She, she got a smile on her face now? <laughs> uh, my wife and my kids uh, and myself, we we probably had the three best years of our life uh, living oh, wow. in Qatar. Um, probably mainly because there was a time to work and there was moments where because of, of different different cultural ways or, or religious ways that they would have breaks and eats as an example or, or public holidays. So so I would have a working week where, where I would have some very long days, but but there would also be weekends where I was actually home and compared to compared to my experience working in Denmark where I would work seven days a week and probably somewhere between 60 and 80 hours a week uh, where my, my kids were awake, then Sometimes I was actually able both to take them to school, pick them up from school and have dinner with them, depending on on the schedule of the week. So uh, an amazing experience for us, to be honest with you. Lovely. So then next, your next roles at Wolves. How did that come about? Tell us about that experience. Uh, that's network, uh, simply by network. Uh, Wolves were in the market for, for hiring international scouts. Uh, uh, a guy which actually applied for a role in, in Aspire, a guy called Bernard Scheutemann, uh, who is now in Feyenoord. Uh, Bernard and I had come across each other on, on several occasions and Bernard reached out and said that he was at United at the time and they had approached him and uh, had asked if he had any connections who who was from, from Denmark, Sweden and Norway. Uh, so I was introduced to, to Matt, who's now the technical or football director in Wolves. At that time, Matt has just been promoted as, as the head of I think international scouting or something was called at that time. So simply by a network uh, interview, went over, made a presentation on on players. I, I thought that they should have a look into uh, and and how I worked uh, and and what should be our focus in the Scandinavian countries. So simply by network and and of course being able to 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 get through the interview of 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 uh, making them understand that I I knew what I was doing. Yeah, tell us about that, and I'm interested about that. I mean, what's obviously what's What's different than that? Well, how is that role different? I mean, now you're recruiting for a, a club specifically. How is that? What's your approach? How does that differ from what you did at Aspire or at in Bromby or Norseland, for example? And tell us like your, your, your average like working week. What does your working week look like? Uh, the biggest difference is that uh, in the other countries, you actually go into the office and you feel like a, a big part of the club. You feel like a big part of the project. When you're working remotely, you are in touch on WhatsApp. You are in touch. Uh, you are in touch uh, through video calls. Um, and if I don't remember wrong, I think we were brought in around every fifth week. 
uh, where we will be flown over and, and having meetings Monday and a Tuesday, as an example. Um, and then, then, then we went onwards in terms of things. But one of the things which, which I was showed in, in my time working for Wolves has always been my, one of my, my prime goals of my career that I wanted to work for Premier League football club. And, and for me, it was, it was, a, it was a dream come true. Uh, but while working it, it also showed me that it's, 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 it's not a job that I'm interested in, in having again, simply by saying that uh, when you work remotely in this way, you are not a part of, of the process. You are, you're a little bit left out in the dark uh, and you're traveling around Europe on, I need to be nice, but you're traveling around on the cheap flights, uh, on all the inconvenient flights. Uh, and uh, in terms of your scheduling, basically you can, you can be sitting in, in Barcelona watching a, an under-15 game uh, Espanol against somebody and then you get a call where they ask you to fly to Serbia. And you can say no, uh, which will then get you into trouble with the management, or you can you can say yes and not be in trouble with the management, but be in trouble with your wife. <laughs> so in terms of planning, uh, it's it's a very, very difficult role to have because the expectations is very high from the club. The resources in terms of what you're paid for, for what the club expected you should you should work for me, it doesn't match up in any way. Uh, I think for those who come early into scouting and get full-time roles and like this, they they without family, this this is probably something they all would dream about. But but uh, for me, in terms of of time spent, uh, the 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 very very long weeks and and a lot of the travel is something I've always dreamed about and loved. But but being in it. Uh, showed me exactly that this is uh, it's not for me, which is a little bit funny where I'm now sitting in a place uh, away from my family around 300 days a year. But uh, I think we'll get to that later. Well, let's yeah, well, let's let's move on then. So then you take a role in India. Tell us about that role. Uh, which also came about by network. Uh, um, one of the uh, English colleagues I had in Aspire uh, gave me a call and said that uh, that the Punjab FC uh, round class uh, is now called RG Punjab FC, who just got promoted from from I League to ISL. Uh, that they were looking to to build a scouting network across India, uh, setting up the best academy in India, uh, and asked me if I was interested. Um, so um, I said, let's let's have a look at it. So I actually flew down and and had meetings uh, with them. Uh, the director at that time was Michael Brown, who's also the director here in Singapore now. Uh, which was my first time meeting Michael. I didn't work with Michael and Aspire. Um, so uh, I made an interview. I think they had five or six people flown down. Uh, and for me, the project seemed amazing. I saw the drawings of how they wanted to build the academy and all of this. Uh, so so through network and and uh, through by, by being curious and interested in the project, uh, which for me uh, meant that I was traveling around the country and, and was maybe two, three days a week in in Punjab region, Chandigarh, where we had base, and then four, five, sorry, around four days a week, I would be traveling to different regions to watch players, but also try and see if I could could meet people which we could recruit for roles. Tell me, what was how long were you there for in India? Uh, actually, only four months uh, in India before COVID broke out, so uh, uh, just around nine months in total. Uh, but uh, I only. Unfortunately, managed to to be there from uh, from November to, I think we went home in in March when uh, when the Danish Prime Minister went on television and said we had three days to get home. And my my nephew, aged eight at that time, he he called me and said on video that the Prime Minister had told me to go home, so I had to do what she said. 
Yeah, absolutely. If you get called that sort of call, eventually. So in that time, about four months, I've been to India like several times. Love it. Very unique place, spiritual, but very can be quite tough and arduous, you know, in terms of, you know, the poverty and stuff like that and seeing how people live. And so what's um, distressing, probably a better word to say, say that. So, but tell us about that. What was that like? You know, culturally, that must have been it's very, obviously very different to Qatar and very different to Denmark. What was that? What were the main challenges like trying to work and find players in that environment? First of all, I loved, I loved my time in India uh, and I'm mostly loved it because the project which was made uh, actually meant that we could we could potentially move players out of of in in bad situations with the families and 99% of the players which we which we scouted recruited and and we brought we brought them to the academy so we made sure they they had education and they had food uh, and most of the families was was very happy and also suggested on time to time that they also had brothers and sisters that was talented that they was hoping that we would recruit as well um so it was it was um it was it was hard soul in terms of traveling around and seeing uh, people living on the streets and 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 not being in in good environments but the joy in the kids eyes when you saw them play and uh for me what what i saw especially from from the younger kids was that if if india was in a different state of mind if they had more regular competitions if they had more facilities if they had an infrastructure where kids could actually make it and and not only from from the small uh from the small cities or the the small near fields they have they they could be i don't want to say a major power in football but but the football players up to the age 11 12 that i saw when i travel around around compared to to europe and and what i've seen was not was not worse they were the same level there were some of the players standing out to to a degree where had i worked in in denmark or still at wolves i would have tried to bring them in for for training um the biggest problem is simply the the lack of of facilities the lack of of um, of infrastructure and the lack of of understanding how to set up competitions and and training environments so what i mean where did you scout the players i'm interested in like you know did they have like you going to leagues and teams or you know you're looking for street players i mean how you get in people you know you hit you sort of people tipping you off about sort of talents so how did that work uh, it worked in different ways. Uh, just when I came in, the the club had organized trials up in in northeast. So, it's 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 a, a familiar thing in in uh, in India and around that a lot of the very good players come from northeast, from from the mountain sites where football is is their way of life. Um, um, I call them small soldiers because they were they're just built different. They're, they're built like small uh, uh, small fire pilots, you know. Uh, very very fast, very agile and very determined in terms of, of playing and also very curious and eager in terms of learning. Uh, traveling to Kolkata as an example, uh, where the players were more uh, more more had more game understanding, were more were more asking for the balls in different ways and, and then going in our own Punjab area where the players by origin was bigger and stronger. Um, having over one bill sorry uh, over one billion people in the country uh, provides uh, provides a lot of different player types and player profiles how many how what was your how many how many players were within, within your scouting remit i mean what sort of area were you scouting you scouting the whole i mean obviously india is a huge country like that i mean you're not, you're not scouting all everyone are you? it's a lot of people that <laughs> was actually the intention so the intention wow. was to hire the intention was to hire 22 scouts across uh, 22 different regions of the country. 
So wow. uh, that was the intention of of going in, and that was also what drew me to 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 get there because the the project was massive when I came, uh, and and I could see myself staying there for a long time because it was good people. Uh, Michael as the director, uh, Andy as assistant director, Curtis Fleming and and Damon Matthew who's now in in uh, in Rangers, etc. So a lot of a lot of good people uh, was a part of the project, and uh, and the owner had. Had had good vision for for how he wanted to build it, but COVID just just changed everything. Did it? I'm interested. Did they carry the project on now after post COVID? Have they gone back into it or the the project is still on? But uh, but during COVID there was a change in direction from from the ownership, which meant that that uh, it was new owners who who not new owners, but it was new people. Safe travels. Um, it was uh, they brought in new people, uh, which basically meant that, like with your experience in football, you know, if you bring in new people, new people want to bring in new people. Uh, yeah. So they are they are now in a different direction, and they have closed down big parts of the academy, only working with, to my knowledge, on the 15 and above, where we were working down to under nines, uh, and uh, the first team just got promoted now to to the ISL. So congrats on that part. Interesting. So then tell us about your next project in Saudi. Is that right? Yes. Uh, Which is also a very big country. (laughs) Yeah. Tell us about your role there. Tell us how it came about and what what you're doing. Yeah. uh, um, I had been in contact with with Mahat Academy for a long time. Uh, Abdullah Hamad, who is the president of of Mahat Academy, was uh, one of my colleagues in Aspire. Um, so I had actually been there visiting him for, for a number of times, um, not a number of times. I've been there to visit him and, and help them trying to, to get people in. Um, they hired, uh, Jan Yap as the, the football director in, in, uh, in Saudi and JJ was my, was my scouting coordinator in Aspire. And, uh, he reached out and, and asked me if it was something I would, would want to be a part of and, for me at that time, I'd, I'd been in Denmark for around 18 months, uh, working, setting up my little grassroots football club, trying to to get the me- the best and the most out of the COVID period. Uh, and the the offer came came at a good time. And uh, when when I when I joined the project, the intention was to build uh, three aspires in terms of building an aspire in in Jeddah and an aspire in Damam and and having the base in in Riyadh. When I call it aspire it's it's so people they understand the the visions of the project the the vision was to to hire 15 uh, full-time scouts just to make an example uh, put the five in each of the locations and and reach out to 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 the whole region in in, in each of the three main centers in in order to build uh, to become the best uh, in the middle east so how long are you there in saudi and, uh, i was there for a year one year so then, um, so I'm interested. Yeah. Then, so what was tell us about that? Then, what were the different things you experienced? Again, you've gone. You know, was it was it was it very similar to working Qatar, or was it could be different? What are the challenges of that sort of thing? Well, I think I think some things is is similar because it, it's country which is just next to each other. But uh, the the intentions was was good. Uh, the project, uh, as I said, changed. I think ten days after I came. The football director JJ got replaced by Ed, who was the at that time the strategy director. He's still there as the the football director now, uh, who also used to work in Aspire, working with the younger ones from from nine to twelve at that time. So I knew him, uh, and in fairness to Ed, uh, Ed took over a group of of staff members uh, and a group uh, and strategically plans, and then 
from from the top the the project just changed so we tried to adapt best possible and the the intentions was to to build three three different places we managed within the the first seven months to set up the Jetta department and set up the mum uh but what one of the big biggest challenges we had was simply the project was was growing at at such a big pace that it took so tremendously long to actually get people in so uh, I don't want to call it a one-man band because we tried to 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 take some of the coaches and go with me around when we went to different regions of the country to 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 hold uh, festivals or trials. Uh, but we managed to set up uh, the two other regions as well. And um, and in all fairness to to Saudi and the football landscape, Saudi has a lot of good football players and a little bit like the same in India. If you're watching players in Riyadh, they look like one thing. If you watch players in, in Jeddah, they look different. If you watch players in Appa, you watch players in, in, in Jisan, which is close to Yemen, they look different. So so they actually have the different types, uh, not also not forgetting about the, the players from Maka. So in terms of potential, um, I love being there. I love traveling around uh, and I love seeing, seeing the potential of the players. Uh, and I love to actually... To, to get that experience meeting so many different people because when when you travel around like we did in my time, I was only in Riyadh one or two days a week and the five other days a week I was traveling the country with somebody called us the traveling circus. Uh, I mm-hmm. prefer to call us the the traveling scouts, but um, but the the intention was the same. It was to brand the academy and and it was to secure we could set up the different centers which we which we managed to do. I mean, I, I mean, obviously now Saudi's going through a bit of a revolution in football terms. I mean, I'm lucky enough, Romeo Jozak's a good friend of mine and uh, he invited me down to see the uh, the under-21s youth project they have run in Barcelona there where they they stage the young players there and they try and set up like a European academy and they play European teams uh, regularly. Are you surprised about, you know, the, the direction Saudi have gone, particularly recently in terms of the you know, what they're they're really going for in terms of bringing players and stuff like that. And do you think that's going to be also reflected uh, in what they're trying to do with youth football as well and academy football? Uh, yes and no. Uh, I'm surprised about the timing in it. I didn't expect it to be now because the logistics of the country in terms of fields um, and um, what do you say? Yeah, fields and, and facilities is not there. So the most of the clubs which have hired a lot of, of these amazing football players, uh, they have one to two fields, and that's for the whole football club. So in in terms of in terms of what they want to aim for and what they want to do, I had actually expected that they would use the next two three years to set up uh, different regional centers where they would have, let's say five to six seven fields, so they could have not only a first team but also a. Uh, a youth academy uh, from from uh, from trying to build it in in an organic way, but my concern is a little bit that because they are now experiencing that they can get the best players if they're willing to to pay what they cost. My my concern for the development of the youth is that that's not gonna that's not gonna be uh, prioritized as high as they as the aim was when what when I was then what I saw. Interesting. And well, let's move on now. Go to this. Your current role. You've, you've gone all the way now. You know you've, you've, you you're not satisfied with your air miles around there, uh, Middle East, and going to India. Now you've gone the extreme all the way to the Far East. There. Tell us about how that came about, and tell us about your role there, and you know what's that been like. Um, it came about by uh, by Singapore announcing on the website that they were looking for candidates for for the talent ID head 
so I reached out to to Michael, uh, who I work with in India, and asked him what type of profile they were looking for, and and trying to to see if it was something that that he would think that I would suit it for. So he he asked me to send my application like anybody else. So I went through the process of of three or four interviews with a lot of different people, a lot of different stakeholders here, which which is a landscape which I haven't seen before. Um, I got the role uh, started here in in the beginning of January. Uh, with the clear aim and the clear plan of setting up uh, a national development center for under 13 to 16, both boys and girls, and sending a, uh, setting up a, a junior national center for under 8s to under 12s. Um, we started the NDC uh, under 13 to 15 in May, uh, and we started the, the under 8s to under 12s in, in July. Uh, and previous to this, we, we hosted a lot of trials. Uh, and and ran numerous uh, events in terms of of the players selected from from these different trials going through training sessions with with the coaches here. So uh, the aim was to to set it up as quick as possible, and then from there on, now the the plan is to to set up a a, a scouting structure where we're going to hire some more scouts uh, in a short time from now. Uh, we are now currently in the market for hiring full-time coaches, both locally and overseas coaches for, for junior DC and NDC. So so the hope and the ambition is that when we reach 1st of January, where our new football center, which is called Kalang Football Hub, is ready next to the National Stadium, we will have three fields and, and one field which is shaded. Uh, and we will hopefully be able to facilitate that the best players in the country across these age groups can can train four times a week with, uh, with full-time staff like like uh, they haven't seen anywhere uh, in this area until now. And um, what what are the what's the differences there practically between recruiting players there and where you've been before? For example, what's the difference between Singapore and what, from Denmark or maybe the other places you went to in the Middle East? Uh, the biggest difference here is that uh, in Denmark and in other countries, football is seen as a career path. Uh, in Singapore, uh, a career path, uh, which the parents are. Uh, like the most is the kids uh, attending school and and creating a career through schooling and education. Um, so in terms of of prioritizing training, uh, things are, are a little bit difficult here in terms of of this. And it's also and something I didn't know before coming. It's it's also a country where there is a, I don't want to say there is a lack of facilities. There's just, just simply not enough facilities in terms of wanting to provide football. Uh, four or five times a week for those players who have who who wants it a little bit more and are are capable and able to do so. Uh so so the biggest difference is uh landscape. It's the the parents uh, who who doesn't believe it's it's a career path and it's it's a football landscape which has suffered a lot uh in the COVID time in terms of everything in this country being very restricted and shut down. So a lot of the the programs which was running here before COVID were shut down and, and a lot of them have found it difficult to get back into action. So it's it's a remodeling of the whole football landscape here, Seoul. And and uh, there is many different focuses. I'm focused on on educating the local scouts so we can have more talent spotters who watch this game so we can secure we have the best players or potential the best players, depending on how you see it. And, and from a whole football landscape point of view, we are working on setting up uh, football tournaments for for boys and girls in across all age groups and and putting in place uh, something which you and I would potentially call normal football landscape but here the the football tournament is just different it it runs 
three months before the summer and three months after the summer. And uh, and school football here is very big. So school football is from January to June, as it is now. Um, so it, it's a complete different, complete different landscape to work in. What's, what's the population of Singapore and what's the pop, how, much, how many youth players are there? To choose from uh, it's actually around the same populations as in denmark the difference is just that the the whole setup of the country is the, the it's so small and um and if so if so what is what is with, the, what is what is the population then i don't know the, my popular knowledge of denmark it's five okay. it's around five million people here uh, and i think in denmark we are now six million but but when we're looking at it the biggest difference here is denmark is built in a way where in each of the city there is a church there is a football club there is a school uh, and there is a, there is an indoor facility where people can play sport. Yeah. In this country, every every time you 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 look over your shoulder, you can see a, a fifty store uh, a condominium. And every time you can see a green area, you can see that they are they're gonna they're gonna demolish it and start building a new condo. Uh, so so it's it's a country where the population is growing. It's it's an interesting place for for people with finances to to invest. And uh, and each of the green areas which is available is unfortunately looking at it from a sports point of view, not being transformed into sporting facilities, but is is more transformed into to housing facilities as as I've seen it until now. Yeah, interesting. But I mean, what is the I mean, what are the players like there? Are there sort of particular profile of players looking that you you are recruiting now? Uh, it's actually uh, a variation of players because the the origins of the players here is Malay, uh, it's Chinese, uh, and it's Indian uh, in terms of where they where their ancestors came from. So we have this these different variations here in terms of of Singaporeans, uh, and in terms of in terms of mindset, in terms of physical profiles, they they don't look like each other. Uh, but but in terms of in terms of looking in player profiling, etc., the 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 low amount of regular competitions uh, at different age groups uh, at few times a year means that that we have had and and we are trying to set up a different way of of approaching it where we are combining weekly scouting with with running trials uh, simply to to draw out those street players and try to create a revolving door where because of the the country being with around 5 million, the country is so small that it takes you uh, maybe 60 minutes to go from one end of the country to the other end of the country. Wow. So everybody can travel with the MRT or the buses here. It, it's it's very convenient. Uh, and having that in mind, we are trying to centralize and trying to to facilitate that that uh, we actually uh, discover the talents which are here. Uh, and I'm I'm quite positive that we have, we've already come a long way. Uh, and it's my hope that with the with the new setup of the NDC and Junior DC, um, and getting more colleagues on board, both in terms of full-time coaches but also full-time scouts, that we are actually gonna actually gonna make sure that it's the best players who are here, and not well, just the ones who showed. So then, how is that gonna work with your Junior G- DC? Uh, for example, what's that? What age is he getting in? How often are they gonna train? The Junior DC is uh, from under eight to under twelve, quite similar to to Aspire and and the feeders. Um, and uh, the intention is they will be training four times a week, three training sessions, and, and then a game day. Um, the the current scenario now for NDC for boys is that they're training two times a week, uh, where the ambition when we when we come to January and the facilities are ready, is that both uh, Junior DC and, and NDC will be training four times a week. Uh, and 
both of those age groups then in the weekends will be playing competitions in in Singapore Youth League. Uh, for the smaller ones, the the idea and the intention is to to let them participate as as junior DC teams. Where the bigger age groups is similar to Aspire, where the intention is that the players uh, will go back and represent their clubs in the weekends. And how many players do you hope to have in the junior, the junior program? We we actually each, don't a, each, li- each age group, each age group, for example. We we don't want to limit ourselves, but of course we are we are limited by uh, facilities and people and 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 potentially time slots. Um, Right now, we have somewhere between 35 and, and 50 players in each of the age groups for the junior DC. Uh, and the NDC teams is is currently somewhere between 10, 26 and 28 players. And what's the ambition for the FA, for example? You know, what's the end goal? Uh, I hope there's no end goals in football, uh, but only, mm. only part goals and, and hoping that the end goal is that we keep on moving. Uh, but but the 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 goal is spoken from from uh, from the the acting president, Mr. Bernard Tan, who who has come out in an interview and saying that in 2029 we are we are hosting the Sea Games here, and and it's the home and the ambition that that the under 22s at that time can compete to win. Uh, and from from the whole public's point of view, it's been it's been an ongoing thing that they are always saying here that. They're hoping that that the, the national teams can actually one day uh, make their way into a World Cup. That's that's if you want to find an angle, that's an angle uh, in terms of it here. And did you say so? You, have your family moved to Singapore with you, or did they stay in Denmark? No, my my wife and kids are still uh, are still in Denmark. Yes. And what's the plan? They're going to move over. Or you, they, you plan to stay there? What's the you know what's the plan there? Uh, when I came, it was my hope and my intention that my wife and my girls, who are now 16 and 17, would actually come. Uh, but um, I found out that uh, that I'm working somewhere between 70 and 80 hours a week, uh, seven days a week. So we've come to we've come to a point with my family where my girls are happy with their education back home, um, and we are trying to trying in a flex flexible way that I work hard here for, for a period of time and then I go home for, for around 10 days uh, and trying to do this. I will try to do this a little bit more regular now uh, yeah. than I did in the first six months where, where I was only home one time. So the plan the plan is that they will stay uh, at home, uh, but I'm I'm sure my wife wants to send at least one of them here uh, so so she can have it a, a little bit. <laughs> well, yeah, I'm sorry. I mean, yeah, I don't mean to get asked so personal there, but I mean that's what people I always identify football as being a very glamorous industry. But you know, it's obviously a passion project. It's, it's an amazing industry to work in. But then these are the sort of sacrifices you have to make, right? Because this comes with it comes with the territory. Uh, I'm I'm quite often saying that uh, my name is not a big name. Uh, I didn't play um, at a high level, so I'm not I'm not getting any roles by my name. I have to work hard for it, and I'm not complaining uh, in that sense. But but when you're talking about glamour, and I think people who who looks at working in football and especially in scouting, saying you're just traveling around on business class and enjoying five star hotels and and living in VIPs. Uh, and that's why I'm saying I did take a lot of picture when I was in India. I did the same in Saudi. Um, um, Singapore is is very different to to those two places when, when traveling around. Um, 
those two places was a challenge uh, compared to traveling around here. Here is much easier and and also more glamorous, but but it's hard work, so uh, and it's it's um, it's um, somewhere between nine to twelve hours a day. Where those who who knows how the role is that I I, I get up in the morning, I go to the office around nine. And I'll be at work to around one or two. And then I will try and go for lunch. I might actually go home for an hour or two because I live close. And then when you and I finish today, I have a game behind me, which is played 7.45. And I'll watch that game, do my report, and I'll be back at my apartment around 10. So it's mm-hmm. a day that starts at 9 and that ends at 10. And that's 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 a normal day working working in football. And what's what about yourself? Any what and do you have any ambitions or further things you want to do? I mean, any other countries you want to visit and work in? I mean, you've you know you're pretty much going around the globe. What's what your own personal things in terms of do you have do you have you know ambitions, other ambitions in the game? Um I think everybody has a lot of dreams. Uh for me, I'm trying to to get the most out of, of where I am, but I'm also very conscious that that football can can change uh, in a moment and um Right now, the the leadership has one direction, and and in my experience, sometimes leadership changes, and then the direction change, which which means that my my way of looking at it and me planning my future can change as well. So, right now, in the role I have, I I cannot I cannot plan for for a long time ahead, uh, but I'm I'm happy and and I feel privileged by being able to work in football and and getting to travel the world and meeting people around the world, and it is my hope that. M- the combined skill sets I have and the person that I am and the network that I'm building can can hopefully take me to to even uh, other countries uh, and hopefully in the future also to roles where I could potentially have uh, a bigger impact on on the planning part as well. So it's not only me following through the projects and and the directions which is set by the the technical director or the CEO, but but at some point ten years ahead from now, I, I hope that, that that will be me. And you've lived in some amazing countries, obviously to India, the Middle East, now now Singapore. Which is your favorite cuisine? Which one? Which one has the best food? <laughs> uh, those those who know me well, Saul, they will say I love everything that's eatable except fish. <laughs> uh, so I, I I cannot give you a straight answer to to your question because uh, I love food. Uh, mo- mostly I love sweets, which is my my biggest uh, biggest problem in all, but. But uh, I don't want to be. I don't want to be judgmental. I, I, I love all aspects of food except fish. There you go. Listen on that bombshell. Let's call it a day. Thanks very much, Look, Kenneth. It's been a pleasure and a privilege to have you on. Speak to you soon, mate. Thank you. Thank you for having me. Thanks for tuning in to the MyPersonalFootballCoach.com Soccer Player Development Podcast. MyPersonalFootballCoach.com's Dynamic Ball Mastery Program is the world's leading online individual technical training program, proven and developed at the highest level in the English Premier League. Sign up now to train like the pros and take your game to the next level. Master the ball, master the game.